Welcome on into the Superintendent Radio Network and episode 20 of Greens with Envy, the podcast that takes you across the country, not really around the world. I'm Matt Lowell, Managing Editor of Golf Course Industry, joined today by the magazine's Editor-in-Chief, Guy Cipriano. And Guy, we have a packed Greens with Envy. This might be the most packed Greens with Envy really since the start of the pandemic back in March because we actually both hit the road driving, not flying, for some recent trips in the last month. How are you doing? And welcome back. Great. And we'll keep this quick at the beginning. We got a few housekeeping items to go through. We will start with Turfhead's takeover. The deadline for submissions is in about three weeks from the day we're recording this. We already have some great golf course superintendents and other people in the industry who have agreed to submit an article. And basically, you can write about whatever you want, send it to Matt and I. And there's a good chance it'll be in our December issue. It's one of our favorite issues of the year, and it's going to be awesome this year. We're not going to give away any of the names of the people writing, but you're not going to want to miss it. The fifth annual Turfheads Takeover deadline again, Friday, November 6th. And as Guy said, send in your submissions. Or if you want to work through as-told-to stories with Guy or me, we're certainly open to that. I'm working uh, with a prominent retired figure in the industry on an as-told-to story. Happy to do that. Email us at M-L-A-W-E-L-L at G-I-E dot net or G-C-I-P-R-I-A-N-O at G-I-E dot net. Matt, you're working with a prominent retired figure. Is old Tom Morris writing another Turf Heads article? No, but that is scheduled to be reshared on Twitter on Halloween, which is a new tradition. For those that don't know what we're talking about, go to at GCI Magazine, follow us on Twitter, and it'll appear on your feed on Halloween. Okay, and then you're listening to the, this podcast, so you've obviously found it. Maybe you found it through our website. Maybe you, you found it through one of the podcast distribution outlets that you're using. But, yeah, we're, we're easy to find. You can find all of our podcasts on golfcourseindustry.com. You can find them on all of our fast and firm e-newsletters, which come out every Tuesday, or you can find them basically wherever you get podcasts, whether it's Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever else. I'm a Spotify guy myself, but if you use Apple Podcasts and you like what we're doing, rate, uh, whether it's one star or five or something in the middle, and review. Uh, The reviews, as so many podcast hosts say, really do help get the word out. If you like what we're doing, uh, share it with a friend too. Yeah, and if you work for an industry company, we still have a few sponsorships up for grabs. Uh, Russ Warner and Andrew Hatfield and our sales team are in contract selling season, and two of our four monthly podcast series have sponsors, but we're searching for a sponsor for this one and also the Beyond the Page podcast. So there's some great opportunities there if you work for an industry company to, to get the word out, and you can have Matt and I read your fun, informative message. And the last little bit of housekeeping news, the December issue, of course, the fifth annual Turfheads Takeover issue. The January issue is the State of the Industry Report. And, Guy, this is going to be, I think, the biggest and most interesting State of the Industry Report yet. I thought last year was great when we dived a little bit into the personal lives and personal health of superintendents other Turfheads. But everything that's happened this year uh, should yield some really, really interesting insight and perspective from folks across the country yep and let us help you with the state of the industry survey if you get it in your inbox it'll take five to ten minutes to complete uh do that because that'll allow us to publish some concrete numbers in january that you can really take to your owner or general manager or your committee or your board to make the case for why your department needs what it needs to get the job done and what other people in the industry are doing resource-wise to to get the job done. So numbers are great to share with the people that make decisions at golf facilities. And the more people that respond to the State of the Industry survey, the the better numbers we will have to help you make the case for your department to get what it needs in 2021 and beyond. And also, we make a significant donation to the We One Foundation for every completed survey. Enough up front. Turfheads take over. Find, rate, and review the podcasts. State of the industry. On to the fun portion of the podcast, which is more Fs. Fun, Florida, Firestone, and fall in New York. Again, Guy and I, both on the road in recent weeks, and 
let's start with the uh, with the southernmost. I guess I'll talk first. Yep, Matt. Matt, you were in Florida for close to two weeks. You and your family drove down there, and you spent it on an island that very few of us have ever heard. Tell us about Captiva Island and what you were doing down there and how you became one of those people that have an early morning tea time every day. Well, I think some people do know Captiva and Sanibel Islands. If you've never been there, if you've gone down the cookie aisle, Pepperidge Farms, I don't know if they still make, but they used to make at least uh, Sanibel and Captiva cookies named after the islands. I've never eaten them, but I know they exist. They probably go well with coffee if they're Pepperidge Farms cookies. Pepperidge Farm remembers. So Captiva, you have to drive... All the way through Fort Myers, there's a causeway that's a couple miles long. I've never actually measured it out. I think it's like two and a half miles long. You go over the Gulf of Mexico, the bay essentially, bay area of the Gulf of Mexico, and you start on Sanibel. Sanibel is a much larger island than Captiva. There are more grocery stores there. There are just island stores. There's a actually a really good Dairy Queen right by the island uh, entrance. You have to drive all the way through Sanibel to get to Captiva, and Captiva, about 100 years ago, was cleaved in half by a storm, and there's a little pass between Captiva and either North Captiva or Upper Captiva, depending who you talk with. And you can see the mainland from the island, but you certainly wouldn't want to swim there. You could boat there if you wanted to. You could probably jet ski uh, if you had the equipment and the desire, but you cannot just get to the mainland. It actually costs, I think, 4 or $6 every time you come back onto Sanibel. So leave the islands when you really need to leave the islands, essentially. So my parents have been vacationing on Captiva since before I was born, and I'm 36. They started in 1979. It was a very different place then. There were very few restaurants. There were very few other hotels they got in on the ground floor at a resort there. They bought some timeshare weeks. It was actually really cheap then. It's not now. And they go down in the fall because it's really empty. And we have a four-year-old. She's not in kindergarten yet. We figured she was not able to see her grandparents earlier this year. Everybody's been pretty responsible this entire year. We'll get down there. Margo will get to hang out on the beach with her Grammy and Gramps. And Carolyn, my wife, and I. We'll basically spend the entire day up in the condo, which we did. We worked Monday through Friday, and then Monday through Thursday, and then we left again the next Friday. But my parents' timeshare overlooks the practice green and a ways away the ninth hole of a nine-hole short course, which I mentioned in a previous episode. It's the Captiva course at South Seas Island Resort. It measures about 900 from the forward red tees, about 11, 1150 from the middle white tees and about th- almost 1400 from the back red tees and blue white red there we go and or red white blue well but red was the forward tees or no red yeah red was the forward I, tees you should see the look on Matt's face right now he's red getting, red was he's the getting forward a bit tees. flustered by this red was the forward tees white was the middle tees blue was the back tees right yeah, yeah. that's so, right that's right well sorry to interrupt Matt but that brings me to a point. Whenever we talk about a golf course and its yardage, it seems like we always start with the back tees. That's just not an industry thing. That's a mainstream golf thing, too. Sure. And maybe to make the game more open to all and less intimidating for all, maybe we should start talking about the yardage from the forward tees first and then work our way up to the back tees. Well, and this is a whole nother conversation. How do you attract new golfers to the game and how do you keep new golfers to the game and the quickest way to grow the game no offense to you or I is not to appeal to the 30 40 50 60 year old guys it's to appeal to children it's to appeal to maybe 20 somethings um, women obviously those are all big big underserved portions of the golf playing public and there's not many kids out there who are going to be playing from the back tees so to introduce a kid to the forward tees absolutely so yeah let's start with the forward tees yeah if i was running marketing for a golf facility that wasn't maybe one of those classic top 250 clubs that was really looking for members or public play 
I would market the forward tees more than I would market the back tee yardage. But anyway, if any marketing people for golf <laughs> facilities are listening to us, we'll be glad to help you free of cost. Sure. Yeah. Free consulting. So the green fees for everybody at the resort were free. There was a cart fee every day. And if you didn't have clubs, there was a rental fee for clubs every day. And I basically, with the exception of a couple days, had a pretty much standing tee time of either 8 or 8.10. I was either the first or the second one out. It was great. If there was no one in front of me, I was playing in about 45 to 50 minutes and could get back in time for the rest of the day. Carolyn joined me one day, and she had fun with her rental clubs. She did not look like she knew how to swing a club, and I I tried to tell her what I knew, but that didn't work well. For those who don't know, Carolyn is Matt's lovely wife. Who actually used to work at this company on a different magazine. And Margot, our four-year-old, joined me not once but twice. So all three of us went out one morning in the cart, and Margot loved it. We told her not to run on the greens, but she could run between <laughs> between the tees and the greens uh, and on the side of the course. Just nice bahia grass down there. It's right on the Gulf of Mexico. And then the last morning, she joined me again for nine holes. And around the sixth hole, she, or fifth hole, actually, she looked at me and she had this very sad look on her face and she says i never get to pull the ball out of the hole i'm like you never told me you wanted to take the ball out of the cup after i put it out and so from the sixth through the ninth holes she would in her little rubber native shoes and her uh she, she had a nice outfit on with her swimsuit on underneath she would run up to the green and she would pull my ball out of the cup and she would hand it back to me so proud and we finished the round, and my child, who has right-handed plastic golf clubs, despite the fact that she is a lefty golfer, we have figured out, who has previously never been on a golf course before this stretch to Florida, and now has three trips to two different golf courses in about a seven-day stretch. She claims to love golf. I've told her we'll take her to the range. We'll find her little kid left-handed golf clubs. And guys, she turns five next August. She wants a golf-themed birthday party. So we've gone from mermaids to Toy Story to golf. Natural progression, I think, for any kid. We certainly have some good reading material if you need any uh, magazines or books to hand out at that party, Matt. (laughs) We will have uh, golf course industries for every attendee. Hopefully we have big uh, family gatherings again by next August. So between your four-year-old daughter and my nephew... Oh. who just turned six, who I bought his first set of golf clubs for. He's a real little golfer, This yeah. past summer, Matt and I are doing our own little part during this 2020 year to bring new people to the game. Yeah. We'll see what happens long term. Well, and I'm still relatively new myself. I'm, I'm less than a couple years in. I didn't really golf regularly until starting at GCI last year. And so this was my first stretch of regular golf, getting up every day, going to the course. And even if it was just an hour – Spending time at the course. I would have much preferred to walk, but you had to take a cart. And I get that. That's fine. Probably could have played in still less than an hour. But to go from hole to hole every day, to see when the superintendent there, a guy by the name of David Foster, who never wanted to talk with me, curiously enough. I talked with his assistant, Pedro. Seeing when they cut new cups and they moved the cups to different parts of the green and seeing how the wind reacted on different days. And I played a couple days at noon, and the difference between playing at 8 when it's cool on the water and noon when you're sweating through the waistband of your shorts. And it was wonderful to play every day and to get the nuances of a golf course, even if you're only there for a week and a half. So gave me a different appreciation. So glad you got to do that. What, what an opportunity, what memories to take that type of trip. I mean, unfortunately, you had a big summer vacation plan that got shelved because of circumstances outside you and carolyn's control so it's awesome you got to go down there and spend that time with your family and great to hear that golf was a sounds like a big part of that experience 10 days in a row yeah who knows when i'll golf 10 days in a row again certainly not the rest of this year no our weather is trending in the wrong direction in northeast ohio yeah the overnight lows by the time this episode airs will have already dipped into the 30s speaking of ohio Speaking of Ohio, you are wearing one of your numerous thin workout hoodies, and it has a familiar water tower on it. Firestone Country Club, longtime 
site of the World Series of Golf and other big events. You got to spend a few days there recently, and you appreciated it a lot more than I would have because I would not have been able to play that course well. You did. But what a great trip. I'm a little jealous. I wouldn't say I played those courses well, but I did get to play them. And for all the members of the woke golf community out there, I'm not sure they're going to like what follows because we're going to first talk about Firestone South, which to me is one of the all-time great, iconic tournament golf venues. The course has been in existence since 1929, and I believe it's been 60-plus years, maybe even 70-plus years. It's hosted televised golf tournament every year. It's been an incredible run. Right now they have the the Senior Bridgestone Players Championship, which is a ma- major on the PGA Champions Tour. Before that, they had the World Golf Championship Bridgestone Invitational on the South Course and the World Series of Golf and the American Golf Classic, and CBS filmed numerous uh, made-for-TV golf events there. In fact, I believe no golf course has been shown on television more than Firestone South. People might really? say, whoa, 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 Augusta National hosts the Masters every year. But you have to remember that the expanded first nine, notice how I called it first nine, yeah. Masters coverage is really only a recent thing. So the Masters was only shown maybe three hours on the weekends, mm-hmm. you know, on CBS, Firestone also hosted all those made-for-TV matches. So I think if you, you counted up the number of hours golf courses have been on TV, I, I would think Firestone's been on TV more hours than any golf course in the world probably. But anyway, we got invited to a media trip, which uh, included experiencing all three courses at Firestone. That's another thing that people don't realize. Firestone Country Club has three private courses. There's a south course, which is what you see on TV Every year, there's the North Course across Warner Road, which is a Robert Trent Jones design that opened in the 60s. And then there's the, well, it's now called the Fazio Course. It used to be <laughs> called the West Course. It opened in the early 2000s, so there are three golf courses there. And actually, uh, Director of Golf Course Operations, Larry Napore and his team, also maintain a nine-hole public course on the back end of the property, which is a great popular course in Akron, Ohio. So you know, Firestone is just classic This is the South course now we're talking about. A classic championship golf course, tree-lined, deep bunkers, parallel holes. It's an unbelievable spectator golf course. Uh, The the 16th hole is one of the great par fives in tournament golf. It it stretches over 630 yards. Of course, the water towers there hovering all over the property. The thing that impressed me most about the South course is that it's tournament-ready all the time. Larry Napora, who's the director of golf course operations, and then Tim Gruber is the South Course superintendent. And their team do an awesome job of recreating what people see on television on a daily basis almost. I was playing it, and the only thing that you really had to do to make it tournament ready would be grow the rough a little and maybe give the greens an extra mower roll and get them even slicker than they were. That It's, it's just amazing that they get – a lot of play, a lot of events, a lot of outings, a lot of people coming in and out out of Firestone with it being a 54-hole facility that has a global-type reputation. And, in fact, now they're doing stay-and-play packages now, so Firestone's almost in the, the resort golf business too. And it's just, it's just a replicated experience day over day on the South Course, year over year. It, 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 it never goes out of style in my mind, and hopefully – they get a another world golf championship caliber event back there because it really is uh, that iconic championship golf course. I know some of the woke people in the golf course architecture community give Firestone a hard time because there's some parallel holes and it's tree lined and you know it's not it's not the big wide open type of freestyle golf that's in vogue today. But in my opinion, it if you ever get a chance to play Firestone South or go to a tournament there, do it. The place has a lot of charm. And then also make time for the other golf courses there too. So across Warner Road is the North Course, a completely contrasting golf course than the South. It's a Robert Trent Jones senior design. Uh, There's a huge lake where the front nine and back nine both start at the lake and then go out 
towards a parkland type setting and then the end of the front nine and the end of the back nine draw you back to the lake just some incredible holes there uh, incredible wildlife you're in the middle of industrial akron ohio and you're seeing minks and herons and bald eagles and i I think I saw the biggest groundhog I've ever seen in my life <laughs> around the maintenance facility there. Scott Trapigan is the veteran superintendent of the North Course, and it's just it's just awesome. And it's also a repeatable experience. Uh, the conditions there are high level day after day after day. And that, that, that's one thing that uh, spending some behind-the-scenes time at Firestone just really impressed me was just, just how, how they repeat that experience really from the start of the golf season in April or whenever it is in Northeast Ohio to the end of it, which now seems to be getting longer and longer. In fact, they're going to go to Thanksgiving this year, which is new for them at Firestone. And then, oh, by the way, there's the, the Fazio course too, which wraps around the South course on the front nine. And then it's this wide open hilly back nine. In fact, the highest point in Summit County, Ohio is on the back nine of the Fazio course at Firestone, you just get to the top of some of the holes and you just have great views of the entire property. Our friend Renee Geyer is the superintendent of the Fazio course. Uh, she's as enthusiastic as they come. In fact, everyone that works at Firestone is as enthusiastic as they can come about the property. They take so much pride in it. A lot of longtime employees, a lot of employees that probably could go to other golf courses and be superintendents or assistant superintendents and maybe even make more money than what they make at Firestone, but they're so loyal to uh, what Firestone is and what Firestone has done for them personally and their attachment to the property. And it's exciting times on the Fazio course because, like I mentioned, it was open in the early 2000s, and it was a bit of a different era. The Things are a little more, what should I say, extravagant then and just mm -hmm. designed for different purposes. And they're doing a bunker reduction on the Fazio course, and it's going to cut the square footage of bunkers around in half. Tom Marzoff is leading that project for Fazio Design. It's going to make the golf course much easier to maintain for Renee and her team. And they're going to be able to put some of their labor time into other parts of the golf course. Not that any of the other parts of the golf course were suffering. It's fabulously maintained. Uh, just to, I, I was wowed by it. It had a lot of width. I, I didn't really know much about the West Course. I had played the North Course before. I had gone to the World Golf Championship Every year I lived in Northeast Ohio on the South Course, so I was least familiar with the West Course. Uh, just unbelievable with native areas, very, very playable. It's even going to be more playable when they get rid of bunkers and, and, and redesign them. They're also doing cart path work and drainage work and just just a great play there. And just, you know, I got to spend time with General Manager Jay Walkinshaw and Director of Golf Tommy Moore. In fact, I played golf with both of them and then really got to spend an entire afternoon with Larry Napora and Tim Gruber and Scott Trappigan and Renee Geyer and the maintenance team. And they're also hysterical too. We had a, just a comical chat in uh, at the maintenance facility and just learned so much from them. We'll have an upcoming operations profile about Firestone. It's the place that, I, I believe I called it on social media, the place that everybody knows from TV. Hmm. But what you see on TV is one part of the story, but it, it is a much bigger story than just that South course and tournament golf and televised tournament golf. So what a, what a wonderful opportunity to get the, spend some time down the road. I was there for two and a half days. I got to stay in one of the villas, which was cool to stay on site at Firestone and just waking up and, and, and seeing the mist rise over the lake on the North course and, and the, the water tower and, and some of the holes on the, on the south course, the, the villa was on the 18th hole of the south course. And you think of all the big moments in golf history that have occurred on that golf course. And uh, anyone that's anyone has basically won a tournament at Firestone. It's hosted three PGA championships the south course, which a lot of people don't know. And it's just a special place. And there are a lot of special places in golf across the United States. And Firestone's one of those that is near the top of that list. When you rattle off a lot of the names of the folks who work there, the various superintendents and the pros and the GM, there's a great camaraderie there. And you had a great photo on Twitter of, I think it was all the uh, superintendents and, and agronomic folks there, but they have a great respect for each other on both sides, the pros and the the superintendents there, right? Yeah, the director of golf, uh, Tommy Moore, is in his first year, and it was enjoyable spending some time with him because I, I go on these visits, and I'm mainly with the 
the people on the agronomy side, because that's our core reader. That's who we serve. Um, that's who we, uh, quite frankly, know the, the most about what they do. So it was great to spend a few days with Tommy Moore, the director of golf, and get his perspective on the operation. He's new. He's in his first season at Firestone. What an interesting year to step into a new job, right? Like, uh, you know, director of golf pro, you're, you're, you're planning all these events and you're trying to schedule them. And basically whatever calendar he had in February has gotten ripped up and it's been something completely different. And you, I learned a lot about the challenges on that side too, but I also learned a lot about, uh, what a director of golf, golf professional who gets it is really thinking. And this, I got this great quote in my conversation with Tommy Moore. I asked him about the relationship between the, the superintendent and the pro shop and the type of, uh, ingredients that really makes it work and the mindset that you have to have on, on both sides. And the quote is when somebody comes by and asks for an opinion of what's going on, we have to stay united far too often. The head pro and the superintendent have an adversarial relationship and I just don't get it. Our superintendents are our best friends. I don't get it either. I don't know why at so many golf facilities that there are sometimes rifts or ill feelings amongst the people that are supposedly on the same team, Matt. We work at a magazine at Golf Course Industry. We have a graphic designer who I would equate to being maybe like the golf professional. We're kind of the sure. the, the agronomy side. We produce the product, and we have a publisher who I guess would be kind of similar to the general manager role. I could not imagine – uh, producing golf course industry and the the printed magazine and everything we do digitally. If we had a dysfunctional relationship, I don't know how it works, but apparently it does work at a lot of golf courses because there are a lot of amazing golf courses that have, you know, healthy memberships or healthy revenue numbers and a, a great product where not all the sides get along, but it's sure as heck much better for everybody. If everybody can get along. And I, I, I think it just comes down to understanding and, and communication and a- asking what's going on with the side that you don't work with or don't understand as much and having them come to you and ask, ask questions. And that's one thing we, we do here at, at golf course industry is that we do a really good job of communicating with each other. But I just, I feel bad for the superintendents who don't have a good relationship with their golf professional or general manager. And I feel bad for the general managers and golf professionals who don't have a good relationship with their superintendent, because there was so much that can be learned from, people that work in other parts of the operation. And at the end of the day, everybody's paycheck signed by the same person. You know, wouldn't you want to get along? But I know there's, there's ego involved. There's sometimes some animosity involved and the, 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 every situation is unique and we don't know the backstory of every situation, but that's one thing when we look at what we're the type of stories we're going to tell in 2021. And I think those relationship stories with the, the superintendent and other parts of the club operation and how to improve those situations is something that we're going to focus on in 2021 with our storytelling. Well, I think you're right. There's, there's a lack of understanding. You mentioned paychecks a second ago. And I feel like, again, and this is nothing Firestone related. No, we're just no, no, talking no, 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 about no, 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 Tommy no. Moore's awesome yeah. quote. No, this is, this is just clubs in general. It's the I would say it's the exact opposite of this at Firestone, where people do respect each other, where they do try to understand what other people's jobs are. And there are clubs out there where, for whatever reason, maybe it's a lack of communication, maybe it's a lack of understanding what different areas do. But I've been talking with some retired folks uh, in the industry the last week or two about budgets for an online series about Budgeting 101 uh, tips and tricks and, and some really good advice. And the first piece went up earlier, or actually last week, uh, with Matt Schaefer, longtime head over at Marion and, and some other great clubs as well. And he was just ruthless during budget season. He was going to get the money. He was going to do whatever it took. He actually had this great analogy where you compare everybody on your crew to everybody in the clubhouse and so you know they have a and i'm gonna i'm gonna butcher this but you know they have a gm you have a superintendent they have an executive chef you have a mechanic they have 60 servers well you've only got a crew of 20 or 30 so you're gonna one up them there but i feel like a lot of what it comes down to and, and it's different in every club i'm sure but a lot of what it comes down to is money and you know you want that money for your crew you see it going to other areas, and you realize that your course is generating a lot more revenue than 
the food and beverage or other areas of the club and and you get jealous because of that and and I don't know. I feel like a lot of riffs probably do start over money because a lot of problems in general start over money. And there's a lot of money involved in golf. Sure. Just theories. Just just sidebars to the rest of this podcast. But the wrap up Firestone. It, yeah, yeah. It, it, it's an incredible place. It's an incredible operation. You got to remember that they're managed by Club Corp, which is a which is a for profit, publicly traded company, and they, they do an amazing job with the resources that they're given each year. And uh, I have the utmost respect for Larry Napore and his team. Larry Napore is a big friend of golf course industry. He's you know forty five minutes down the road in Akron and what he does there, he's so unassuming like most people we deal with, but they do it, like I said, day after day, month after month, year after year. Uh when you watch the tournament on television, they don't use any volunteers. It looks that way just with their own crew. They took a when when Larry Napore became the director of golf course operations. He asked his team if they wanted volunteers during tournament week, and they said, nah, <laughs> we, we want to do this our, ourselves. This We're is good. our game. And uh, when they do have the tournament on TV, the the, the North and the Fazio course are often open too. So they're running uh, regular golf off those courses. Wow. It's a busy, busy place. Uh, like I said, people coming from all over to play Firestone. And uh, what TV doesn't show you is just the quality of that North course and the quality of that Fazio course and getting 54 holes in excellent condition and giving those people that come and play their distinct elite golf experiences on all three courses, that isn't easy. The last leg of this trip and the last segment of this podcast, we've had Florida, we've had Firestone, and then we have uh, fun in fall New York. You went to Rochester or as your phone's predicted text put it in a tweet one time, and this cracked me up because only you would have had this in your predicted text for whatever reason. Not Rochester, but Rochester. Donald Rochester. And it's so true. So everybody knows Oak Hill Country Club. Uh, it's hosted the Ryder Cup. It's hosted the U.S. Open. It's hosted the PGA Championship. It's hosted the U.S. Senior Open. It's hosted the Senior PGA Championship. It's hosted every big rotating men's golf event. Everybody knows about Oak Hill. That was the impetus for the trip. I wanted to see the work that architect Andrew Green and director of grounds Jeff Corcoran did on the, the East Course, and we'll get that to a minute. But Oak Hill isn't just the only Donald Ross design there. In fact, within a five-mile radius, you have the two courses at Oak Hill. You have Monroe Golf Club, which we're going to get to in a minute. You have Country Club of Rochester, which I had a chance to stay in their clubhouse a few years ago and play that course on a, a Sunday, and that's where Walter Hagen got his start. And staying in the clubhouse of a 100-year-old club like that overnight was a bit freaky. Uh, that's a story for a different day, but that was really I, – I thought the ghost of Walter Hagen was going to pick me up and put me on the 18th green or something while I was sleeping. Maybe we and can then save you, it for Halloween in a couple of weeks. We can put it in with the uh, old Tom Morris – tweet we can have ghost stories with guy and also adjacent to oak hill is aradonquit country club which is another donald ross design so you it's called Rochester because you have four donald ross courses that are mm -hmm. that are all awesome basically within five miles of each other so oak hill country club was the impetus of that trip but uh and that was a, a visit on a monday but i got into town early and i did a sunday morning visit at monroe golf club and the superintendent there is Matt Deli. He's been in his job for over a decade. It's basically a dream job for him. He grew up in New York. Uh, he, he worked at Monroe Golf Club as a, a teenager. That's where he got his start. So he's seriously living the turf dream, working at Monroe Golf Club, which is just an awesome Donald Ross design. You know, we, we could probably talk for an hour just about architecturally and sense of place awesomeness that Monroe has. But Matt is doing a terrific job. They just opened a new maintenance facility earlier this year, so that's a huge win for them. The course is always doing some work or looking ahead. It's that, it's that type of club. You know, They added a four-hole short course a long time ago before that became the cool thing to do. They're sitting on 200 acres. The club, which is, which is amazing for a club that's close to 100 years old. And what's even more amazing is that the course sits atop sand, so how great is that to have that type of base below the ground? That certainly makes what you're doing above the ground a, a bit easier. So that, that that was a great Sunday morning visit 
you know, some people notice the sunrise over the golf course. I really thought it was cool seeing the sunrise on a Sunday morning over a new maintenance facility because we know <laughs> uh, that that's the toughest sell for our readers, and that's mm-hmm. probably the most needed thing that they need to take their operations to the next level. It's amazing how many awesome golf courses operate out of decrepit maintenance facilities, and right. that's just the nature of golf course superintendents and their teams. No matter where you house their operation, they're going to find a way to put an incredible product out there. But Monroe, just uh, just architecturally amazing. The maintenance is amazing. I mean, Matt and his team do a fantastic job. It's been a big year there. Their play's up over 20%. Like I said, they opened the new maintenance facility. They're thinking ahead to another version of a master plan and even getting rid of some more trees and bringing it back to more of Ross's intent. Honestly, if if it wasn't in the same neighborhood as Oak Hill, which has hosted every big event imaginable rotating, you'd probably hear more about Monroe Golf Club. And I thought it was pretty cool. Uh, It's right on Golf Avenue. That's the actual mailing address. Yes. That's awesome. And not like golf, like where you... You were Golf of Mexico. This is G O L F. G O L. I can spell G O L F. Might have been on it. Yeah. Just a just a great place. Learned a lot from that visit. Like I said, they've had an amazing year, and it just it was the start of Sunday morning, and to meet Matt Deli and see his enthusiasm for that club, and have him talk about what a great year it's been at Monroe Golf Club and where they're headed in the future, just already gets you jacked up. And then had another special visit after that. Yeah, real quick side note, too, talking about the new maintenance facility at Monroe with with what Matt has been doing there. I, in September, or for for the September issue, talked with uh, Troy Flanagan of the Olympic Club. They have a beautiful new maintenance facility. And I feel like this could be a semi-regular, ongoing series. If you're listening to this and you have a new facility or newer facility that you want to show off, let us know. Send us photos. We'll at least get it on social media. Who knows? Maybe we'll... Write it up for uh, online or the magazine. Those are always fun, just to kind of show off what what you guys have been able to fight for and and get built off the course for yourselves. So after Monroe, I did a quick bike ride on the Erie Canalway Trail, which goes from Albany to Buffalo. It's one of the great multi-purpose bike running hiking trails in the United States. It runs parallel to the Erie Canal, which was a major transportation artery in the Northeast in the 1800s. And all these charming small towns are along it. And the the scenery was just great. So I I squeezed that in. It's like 300 miles. Yeah. East to West. Yep. From Albany to Buffalo. They even did a song about it in the early 1900s. I will not try (laughs) to sing it. Just that just, if you're ever up in Western or Central New York or the Capital Region, you know, bring the bike, bring the running shoes, get a few miles in on it. It's it's awesome. So then get back to the hotel, you know, clean up real quick and do a early afternoon, which stretched into basically a darkness Sunday night visit at Skinny Atlas Country Club. Now you're probably wondering, Skinny Atlas, where is that? What is that? Well, it's the easternmost Finger Lake. It's between Rochester and Syracuse. And the reason I went there is the superintendent who's in his third season is a friend of ours. Alan Hammond uh, was formerly the assistant superintendent at Canterbury Golf Club under Mike Lepresti, which is right near our our headquarters. We have a great relationship with Mike and his team, and Canterbury is uh, a place that's real special here in Northeast Ohio. So I I, made the hour drive from Rochester to Skinny Atlas to, to see Alan and what he's accomplished there in three seasons, and it's been nothing short of incredible. Alan is actually from Ireland Hmm. and he is so dedicated to this profession. And this is his first head superintendent job. His wife's from the Rochester area. So it worked out great for him to get a job at Skinny Atlas Country Club. Uh, The club has uh, an 18 hole golf course really where some of the holes were built in the 1910s. And then some of the other holes were built later. So it's kind of a conglomeration of a classic golf course with some modern holes too and it's sort of has different feels depending where you are on the property the clubhouse is right on skinny atlas lake Uh, the club also has a harbor marina area just some beautiful views and actually only really one of the holes plays close to skinny atlas lake the first hole which is a par three runs parallel to skinny atlas lake you get on the green and you just have an amazing view of the lake the club has just kayaks sitting down there for members to use, fire pits on the lake, picnic tables, some nice 
boats there of all, all type. It was a great fall day. So there were actually people out on the lake when I was there. And then, yeah, really the first hole, the par three is the only one with a, a really just an in-your-face lake view. But Alan has done a lot of tree removal in his first three seasons. So you get deeper into the course. And the uh, so the seventh hole is a, over a mile from the, the first hole. That's a pretty long distance. Hmm. But you get up oh. to the uh, seventh tee and just with some of the tree removal that Alan did, you can, you can see the lake now from various parts of the golf course that you couldn't see before. And what a great way to sell future tree removal when you open up <laughs> views of that. Because if I'm a member at a country club that's on a finger lake, I darn well want to see the lake whenever I, I, I can. That, it's just Even if you're having a bad round of golf or bad day and you get up on an elevated tee box and look around and you're like, oh, there's the lake. And it, it's you know crystal clear blue water. You feel better about everything. Well, and you had a similar story to that in the magazine a couple of years ago, or, or I think it was even early last year, when you went up to another part of New York, when you went to Buffalo, and you went to Wanaka. And Wanaka had tremendous tree mo- removal as well, and they opened up water views, waterfront views for the first time in, in decades. So I don't want to say it's a New York trend, but the fact that you've got clubs that are able to get the trees removed to open up these beautiful views that haven't been there for years or decades. It's great to hear. It, it really is. Skinny Atlas, by the way, in, in case folks are not familiar with the Finger Lakes or that part of New York, Skinny Atlas, it sounds like S-K-I-N-N-Y-A-T-L-A-S, Skinny Atlas. That is not at all how this is spelled, right, Guy? No, and it took me a while to properly spell it in my pre-trip notes, but it's... <laughs> S-K-A-N-E-A-T-E-L-E-S. Just like it sounds. Skinny Atlas. Just like it sounds. And I'd been to all the Finger Lakes besides this one, so it was cool to see the the, the final one in my own personal Finger Lakes puzzle. But just Alan is, basically since he started three seasons ago, it's been go, go, go. We just mentioned the tree removal. He's added short grass, all over the golf course. He's expanded some fairways, him and the team. They've expanded some short grass areas around the greens to, to provide different shot options. They constructed a larger range, range tee. Uh, they've certainly enhanced some of the areas around the, the bunker, bunkers. Uh, we said the tree removal. We can't mention that enough. They're building a nursery. So Alan has just not got there and settled into the job. He's worked 24-7, he's a guy that's go, 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 like I said, to bring this golf course, which is one that not a lot of people have heard of, to another level. And it it's an awesome golf course that has a very promising future. Their play is up over 40%. This year, they're getting new members. They've converted some of those social members that just like to use the Harbor Marina or the dining facility on the lake. They've converted some of them into golf members. It's a club that's doing big things, and it was just so awesome to see Alan who worked so hard as an assistant at Canterbury, get his first head superintendent job a few years ago, and then to finally actually like tour the property with him. It's pretty emotional for me just to have a relationship with someone like that and you know see, see in person what he's done with his first head superintendent job. And hopefully we get a chance to visit him again soon. And you know, just uh, I'm sure if I visit next year at this time, there are going to be things I didn't see this year. And it's just, it's just that course. type of mentality there that Alan's brought. As happens on so many of your trips, and it hasn't happened in a while because you haven't had these multi-course driving trips for a few months, really, but as has happened for years, you get on the road, you share images and little stories on Twitter about where you are, who you've seen, what you've been doing, and someone in the area says, well, why didn't you, they'll send you a DM, they'll say, well, why didn't you reach out to me? I would love to hang out. I would love to show you what we've been working on. And when you're flying, you can't really do that. But when you're driving, eh, you can tack on an extra six hours. You can tack on an extra day here or there. It's fine. And that's what happened on uh, on this trip, too. You added a third course to your roster. No, actually four. Oh, that's so right, we haven't four. Even got, yeah, we haven't even yeah. gotten to Oak Hill yet. So no, that, we the, haven't. Monroe Golf Club and Skinny Atlas Country Club, that, that was Sunday. And we ended I'm, sun- I'm jumping the gun. We ended Sunday by eating at Doug's Fish Fry in the village of Skinny Atlas. 
wow, what a cool place. It looks like the type of place where you could be there eating and Guy Fieri would walk in and record a, a Food Channel uh, episode or whatever he does. Doug's is full of Flavortown. Doug's is coming to Flavortown. A completely gluttonous meal. I think I got the seafood gumbo, a uh, fish sandwich that looked like a whale, some onion rings, <laughs> coleslaw, and then a uh, apple fritter sundae. Because, I mean, when you go to the, the Finger Lakes in the fall, you, you have to get some apples, right? So, anyway, that was Sunday. And then Monday morning was Oak Hill Country Club. Uh, pulled in, greeted by uh, Jeff Corcoran, who's the, the director of grounds there. He's one of the great superintendents in the industry and had a chance to, to, to speak with him and see the changes. And then uh, the past club president, Jim McKenna, and the current club, club president, David Freeze, joined us on the tour and also got to spend some time with um, Kevin Taylor, who's Jeff's, was Jeff's lead assistant superintendent. Kevin just took a job in Cape Cod, the head job at the club at New Seabury. Mm -hmm. So Oak Hill is a place where they take great pride in moving their assistants on to head jobs. In fact, you go into the maintenance facility and they have flags of all the assistants that worked under Jeff. They have course flags from where they've taken head superintendent jobs. And boy, what a motivator that is if you're a young person in the industry to walk into a maintenance facility and see the flags of where they've uh, sent some of the, the, the people on that have done great work to get their first head jobs. That's well, anyway, cool. spent some time with them and we walked the property and it was a Monday morning and I, I pull in at like eight o'clock and there were already golfers on the, the sixth hole and they're, they're jamming out you know, spray applications and mowing just busy as can be. You think you're going to Oak Hill country club on a Monday and it might be a little bit laid back. Right. But it was really, I, I think it was the last Monday they, they had play this fall. The, the okay. course reopened after the Andrew green led and what Jeff told me it's called was a sympathetic restoration. That's the terminology they're using. Sympathetic restoration. So the course reopened uh, Memorial Day weekend. Uh, the project started last August. And, I mean, Oak Hill was already an awesome golf course, but this has taken it to another level. Uh, you definitely feel more of the Donald Ross in it. Uh, they got rid of some of the changes that had been made over the years for various reasons, including on the 15th hole, which is a downhill par three. They got rid of a pond. You just filled it in? Yep. So now wow. it, it's still a par three, but the pond on the right of the green is no longer there. So okay. can you imagine being a member at Oak Hill and playing the course one way for, for decades? And then you get back, it reopens, and, oh, the pond's no longer there. Of course, they had a few different committees, and everything they did was well communicated to the sure. me membership. I mean, they're they're you know close to 900 members at Oak Hill, so you, you just can't on a whim decide to take out a pond. And everything was well thought out. Uh, Andrew Green is the was the architect he used to work for mcdonald and sons came up through the the, the turf and the con construction side he's really gotten some great projects going he completed the work at inverness a few years ago he's working at congressional and he's going to be at scioto down the road in columbus right. ohio he's so a lot going on he's got a lot going on uh, oak hill is one of his first big projects and they just did terrific work and it's always great to to see a course that was already awesome get taken to the next level. The 2023 PGA Championship is going to be at Oak Hill. And get this, so on the day that PGA Championship week would have started this year in 2020, uh, you know, had they hosted this year in that May time slot, it snowed at Oak Hill Country Club. So who knows what's going to happen in 2023. It could be 80 degrees or it could be 25 degrees in snow. Uh, whatever is thrown their way, you know, Jeff Corcoran and that team is going to have Oak Hill ready. Yeah. I had a chance to go there last year for the Senior PGA Championship right before they started the Sympathetic Restoration. And I was looking at my before and after photos, and you can definitely tell some differences. Uh, fewer trees, of course. Of course, it's called Oak Hill, so you're not going to completely get rid of every tree at a golf course called Oak Hill where the trees are a big part of the history. Uh, bunker style, completely different. There's some just dramatic grass faces, which are creating some, I don't want to say challenges, but Jeff Corcoran told me they've definitely are learning how to maintain these grass faces here as the season has gone on. And the, they're very intimidating. You stand up and you're like, how can someone get a mower there? How can someone trim that? But it gets <laughs> done. And that's part of bringing it back to what Donald Ross intended. Yep. There's some more humps and, hummocks and mounds on the golf course. Uh, the fifth hole is a new par three, and the sixth hole now is one of the, really the great 
par fours in championship golf and just super impressed by what they did. And you learn so much when you walk a golf course with somebody like Jeff Corcoran and you see he's another one that he's go, go, go. And Alan Hammond, who I, I just mentioned at Skinny Atlas Country Club, he came through the Oak Hill system and spent some of his days there as an assistant hmm. superintendent working for Jeff. So that was visit number three. And yeah, we always get the, uh, some of the DMs us saying, Hey, can you stop by or how long are you going to be in the area? <laughs> and this one was a special visit to end the trip. We got to visit our friend, Thad Thompson at Terry yep. Hills golf course, which is a 27 hole family owned public facility between Rochester and Buffalo. And Thad has helped us with so many different things over the years, including our story about the kidney transplant involving Brian Kahn and Scott Dotson, two superintendents in Buffalo. Thad was a big part of that story and really made that, that happen for us. So it was great to see him. And we caught up, we were talking in the maintenance facility. He's like, oh, by the way, you want to see the golf course? And this is like an hour and a half in, and we're just chatting in the maintenance <laughs> facility. Well, of course we want to see the golf course. Yeah, we're not going to – beautiful fall day. Of course we're going to see the golf course. This, but that's, is, this is how you have six-hour visits because the first hour and a half is in the maintenance facility. You don't even get on the course. Yeah, I couldn't imagine if I had a wife and children that needed me at home <laughs> doing some of this stuff. But, no, Thad is – he's been at Terry Hills for over a decade. His brother is the superintendent at – East Aurora Country Club in the Buffalo area. So he's from a turf family. And he, him and his team have done terrific work. And it was cool. You know, they've been busy. I mean, like any public course, they've been busy. There have been very few open slots on the tee sheet. But things do slow down a bit with how fast the turf is growing in October. And they're sort of in project mode. And it was cool because Thad showed me the uh, new stairs that they were building along a par three. They stained a deck on a par three. You know, they're just doing incremental things to take Terry Hills to another level. And it's owned by the Rotundo family. And and Thad has a great relationship with his owner. He sees them every day. And uh, we just talked about three private clubs, right? Monroe Golf Club, Skinny Atlas Country Club, and Oak Hill Country Club. But really, when you talk about the great 2020 that golf is having, it's really happening at the at the public sector. These right. family-owned courses and these community-owned courses are just packed. And they're providing uh, a product that at a price point that most people can enjoy. And they're seeing all different types of players come to the golf course and I'm just so happy for Thad that they're having this type of season. And Thad loves the job. He's worked at private clubs. He said, when you're a golf course superintendent, really defining career happiness, it's about fit. And Thad just fits Terry Hills in so many ways. And this is pretty unique. So you drive up, and the first thing you see the way I was coming, so I was coming from the east, is you see a miniature golf course, which, yes, Thad and his team have to maintain. <laughs> and then you see a red barn on the front of the property. And I, I, I pull in, and you know I'm in the parking lot by the clubhouse. I give Thad a call to let him know I'm here. And he goes, oh, yeah, I'm r right behind you. And he's waving, and he's waving outside that red barn. I didn't realize that huge red barn at the front of the property was the maintenance facility. How often That's do you cool. pull into a golf course, and the first thing you see, well, is either a miniature golf course or, or the huge – maintenance facility and that's pretty unique but it fits the property it looks like old farmland and they have a red barn at the beginning where they keep all the maintenance uh equipment is it was neat and it all fits once you think about it hey this all this all makes sense here and that's not lacking for storage space for all the equipment they have so uh, a big red barn is unique for a maintenance facility it's not like the modern one that i saw at monroe golf club or the mm -hmm. the one that they have at oak hill which if you were going to do the if you're going to rank the best maintenance facilities in the country, the Oak Hill one would probably be in your top 10, at least the ones that I've seen. But it, the maintenance facility at Terry Hills just fits the character of the property, and and Thad fits the type of superintendent that you need at a family-owned course like that. He gets along with the um, the owner, and Thad knows a lot of the golfers. He plays in three golf leagues a week at the course that he works at. So that's somebody who spends his free time at his place of employment. He never leaves. And and that is appropriate because before he married and, and had kids, he actually lived on another course that he worked on for, I think, three or five years. He lived yeah. in an on-course apartment. Yeah, well, Thad doesn't live at Terry Hills, although it, might, no. it may seem like he lives there. He spent so much time no. there. This but, was years ago. He but he, he was yeah. so proud of the, the 2020 that they're having and the little projects that they're doing and everybody just seems so happy and pleasant on all four of these visits. Now, maybe it was because I came by in October. If I come by like in July when superintendents are in the, in the Northeast or in that HE double hockey sticks period of the summer, maybe the vibe's a little bit different, but these are people that work at great facilities that have had great years, just not in terms of the number of play and how the golf courses help 
produce revenue when there were a lot of clubhouse losses this year, but just great turf seasons too. And it just awesome trip to New York. Uh, that part of New York never disappoints in New York. The courses that get most attention are on Long Island and Westchester County, but yeah. there is great golf all at over. all lev- levels over the state of New York. And it was, it's, a, it's an easy three and a half, four hour drive from our office to Rochester. Well, it's not far from Boston. It's not far from New York. It's not far from Philly. A lot of the cities up there in the Northeast Corridor, you can be there, you know, relatively, I don't know if it's three, or three and a half or four hours off from all of them, but you know, uh, not a terribly long drive. So it is some an area that's close to a very large percentage of the American population. And we learned so much on our visits. Matt learned a lot in Florida. I learned a lot at Firestone and in New York. And you'll see some future stories in golf course industry about these courses that we visited. And we'll have a big Oak Hill sympathetic restoration story. We have an operations profile on Firestone and hopefully – Matt gets a hold of the elusive superintendent uh, down in Florida and is able to write a short course story about the course at Captiva. That's the goal. David Foster, I talked with Pedro. I talked with your pro, Brian Cooper. They're great, and you should be incredibly proud of that course and everything you had to deal with. Like so many clubs, uh, they had scaled back operations, uh, both on the clubhouse side and on the course maintenance side. So it it is a strange year in a lot of ways in terms of turf quality and size of crew. We look forward to hearing from a lot of you when our 2021 State of the Industry survey does go out. Again, if you get it, take five or ten minutes, fill it out. Really excited to see the results this year. And as always, we'll be making a donation tied to the State of the Industry survey to the We One Foundation. And superintendents, don't be shy. If one of us or somebody else that tells the industry story is looking to speak with you or wants to come around. If you can fit it in your schedule or find a way to fit it in your schedule, it's going to help you out. Telling the industry story is only going to help the industry. Uh, if you're a golf course superintendent, you're one of the smartest people in the United States. You're, you know how to solve problems. You know how to make a budget. You know how to take something to the next level. So you know, when, when we're out and about, we get great cooperation and it's greatly appreciate it. And we're looking to tell great stories all across the country. For all our friends at Terry Hills and Skinny Atlas and Oak Hill and Monroe and Firestone South North and Fazio and the Captiva course at South Seas, thank you so much for the time. And thanks to all of you for listening to episode 20 of Greens with Envy. We'll be back every Tuesday with new episodes of Greens with Envy with Off the Course, where we dive into passions and projects outside of work. I host that one. Guy hosts Tartan Talks, which, of course, is the longest-running show on the network. That is monthly conversations with members of the ASGCA. And there is always Beyond the Page, which dives a little deeper into some of the stories and columns in the physical magazine. That one is up, and the full October issue is online, golfcourseindustry.com. Uh, should be hitting your mailboxes here shortly in mid to late October. For Guy Cipriano, Editor-in-Chief of Golf Course Industry Magazine, I'm the Managing Editor, Matt Lowell. Thank you so much for listening. How about one of the Canal Boat songs? Do you know this one? I got a mule and the name is Sal. Fifteen miles on the Erie Canal. She's a good old worker and a good old pal. Sixteen miles on the Erie Canal We hauled some barges in our day Filled with lumber, coal and hay And we know every inch of the way From Albany to Buffalo Low bridge, everybody down Low bridge, for we're coming to a town And you'll always know your neighbor You'll always know your pal if you ever navigated on the Erie Canal. Well, you bet your life I'd never part with Sal. Fifteen miles on the Erie Canal. She knows every inch of this old canal. Fifteen miles on the Erie Canal. We pulled some barges in our day, filled with lumber, coal, and hay. 